Hello, everyone. I have some news. We have a new issue of Digiday Magazine that we just finished. This is our quarterly print publication. Yes, that is right, print. This issue focuses on the shifting role of intermediaries in digital media and marketing. We have interviews with people like Burger King's Fernando Machado and S4's Martin Sorrell. Um, there's also a nice profile uh, that Carrie Flynn did of Snap's Jeremy Gorman, who is leading their business side. Um, and I even write a optimistic take on the state of digital media and why it is not all doom and gloom. Uh, what's more, our cover has a wonderful magical unicorn on it. You should really check it out. It's beautiful. Digiday Magazine is one part, just one part of a Digiday Plus membership. You also get access to unlimited articles on our website, exclusive newsletters that we only do for members, original research from our panel of 6,000 plus media and marketing executives, and much more. We are continuing to offer our podcast listeners um, a special on this. It's only for the next couple of weeks, so please, please do act. If you go to digiday.com and you hit the uh, Digiday Plus tab, go into checkout and you can enter the code intro and you will get 70% off a three-month subscription for a mere $49. Again, go to digiday.com slash subscribe and use intro at checkout. Thanks. The media is in a state of perpetual crisis, and on this podcast, we will have plenty of doom and gloom to discuss. I am speaking with Emily Bell, the director of the Tao Center at Columbia University, for some media optimism. But it turns out Emily is a bit of a pessimist, but we will get some bright spots in there. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this episode, Emily returns to the podcast, and she explains why she will never again listen to Jonah Peretti uh, talk about business matters why there is subscription fatigue that is bound to set in, and much more. Hope you enjoy the episode. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Brian. Thanks for having me back. I will not go through all of the layoff news. The most recent one was uh, New York Media. Is media in crisis? Media is in a perpetual crisis. Um, so yes, it is, but I think we got used to it by now, haven't we? Yeah. I'm feeling quite optimistic. Okay, give me, give me the case. Well, actually, let's stay on pessimism. Give me the case for pessimism, and then we'll go, we'll go into the optimism. Well, as you would say yourself, Brian, it's all about where you set your expectations. <laughs> exactly. If you so set them low enough, everything. Mine are subterranean. So um, where are we at the moment? So we're, I think we're at what we would call the reckoning at the moment, which is all of these things that we have been thinking might deliver for publishing, like relationships with platforms in particular, <laughs> Facebook, mm -hmm. have not helped journalism. And in fact... In most cases, they've marginalized it. They've made it harder to make money. They've made it harder to get seen. Um, but we know that now. And wait, wait, let me jump in. Harder to be seen? There's, it's The platforms have done a lot, but they have turbocharged the ability to at least get your brand and get a sampling in front of an audience. If you're willing to pay. And if you're willing to employ a team to guess the play guess the algorithm on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you're right. There's a bigger audience there. And it is growing if you're on platforms like uh, Instagram. But the science of getting yourself in front of uh, a bigger audience or a specific audience 
is pretty expensive. So I would say that um, that is it's not necessarily been that great for publishers. Uh, it's been harder to make money in that environment, much mm-hmm. harder to make money. Uh, the platforms do not care about journalism. This is my other big statement. They really don't care about journalism. It's like Pluto in their solar system. It's tiny and it's a long way away. And occasionally they have to worry about it, but mostly they are thinking about other things. But wait, I mean, Richard Jingris has been on this podcast. Um, Campbell Brown is not yet has not yet come, but she's going to come soon, I, I have a feeling. Um, they, they, they tell us that they very much care. I'm sure they do. And they have a lot of marketing budget, which goes behind it. But that's the thing, Brian. It's marketing budget. It's, it's PR. It's all PR. And it's not central to their business. And I'm sure but that they... But should it be? I mean... No, not necessarily. Okay. Actually, I'm now changing my mind on that as well. Right. I think that they are publishers, um, but they are not the right people to really care about journalism. Um, because they're too vested, you know, there, there are too many um, vested interests in this. You know, we have to look at them with quite a critical eye. Explain the vested interests. Well, Google, Facebook, um, Twitter don't just operate as platforms for our work. They operate in all sorts of different ways as well. So Google will sell its services to schools and local authorities and government. Uh, Facebook will help uh, governments and dictators (laughs) spread their word as well. Mm. We have to keep investigating them. They're arms of power. So it's a bit like this conundrum about public media where everyone says, well, we don't want the government funding it. Um, and the answer is, well, no, mate, you don't want them funding it at first hand and being in control of it. I think we have the same issue, really, with the platforms, which is something I'm very uneasy when I see things like Google sponsoring everything in data journalism. And if you take Google training, uh, they will say things like, you don't really need to learn to code to do this. You just need to learn how to use this tool set. It's not mm-hmm. true. Um, you're playing then in their world. So we either completely accept that we are living inside their world, that we have a certain relationship with them, and that we're going to cede to these very powerful organizations a certain amount of control, which incidentally does change our journalism. Yeah. Or we're going to say we have to retain for as long as we can the idea that we are independent investigatory reporting organizations and therefore we can't have that kind of relationship with them, which mm-hmm. is what we would say about government, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to channel VC Twitter for a minute. Great. Um, I'm not wearing a vest right now, as you can attest to, but I'm going to try to because they love to do these contradictory tweets, right? They do. And you know, one of the contradictory tweets is Facebook doesn't pay publishers enough. Um, publishers depend on face, Facebook uh, too much, and like there's this, they they set up that their that their um, their critics, particularly on the the news side, are um, basically talking out of both sides of their mouth. Because on the one hand, they want more money from platforms, but on the other hand, they don't want platforms to be dictating their journalism. Right. Fair? Well, I think that's fair. Um, because I mean, we all want money, but money yeah, comes from strings. So, so okay, I'm not going to get into the job. I'm not going to get into the business of pointing my finger at Google or Facebook and saying it's their fault that advertising has completely dried up as a source of revenue for um, most publishing organisations. Uh, because they came into the market with a more efficient way of relating products to Mm -hmm. consumers, which is really through data aggregation. They built a better ad machine. They built a better ad machine. 
and only they could do it because you have to have so much data to be able to do that. The idea that a publisher could do it is ludicrous. So they changed the market in a way that meant that lots of publishers were just left uh, stranded, you know, without uh, very quickly, actually, you know, in the course of kind of five years, maybe that's super quick. Um, so it's not their fault, but it's a bit like the fossil fuel company saying, well, you know, it's not our fault that everybody drives cars. <laughs> it's not our fault. That still means that when you have an impact on the environment and they have had an impact on the environment, that you have to put it right and you have to pay to put it right. Part of that is the whole cleaning up the misinformation mess, um, which they are doing in ways that put in restraint. But part of it is also rebalancing that by saying, well, where are we going to get good information from if you're not going to pay reporters? And that's a big issue, I think, mm -hmm. still. Not in our business, probably, Brian. I think there's still a lot of people writing about media at national level. Yeah. But it's an important beat, right? But at local level, absolutely decimated in the United States, pretty terrible in Europe. Um, you need somebody to be able to provide at least some support until journalism can figure out what its business model is, if it has a business model. I, I want to get to the local side, but but first, give me the optimist take because we went we went <laughs> really yes, that's right. If I'm it here bleeds, to it be leads. So um, you know, we went really negative. Yeah, so the optimistic side is this. I think that we now know where we are. So there's a few... <laughs> <It's> expectations. <laughs> a few years ago, um, there was VC money pouring into media. We were told it was going to look like this. Jonah Peretti was doing his slides at South by Southwest, which he was doing again on Friday, saying, yeah. hey, it's all about the share. Um, I Jonah's think, back to being optimistic. Yeah, you know, media yeah, went from being I'm in crisis sure. I, to... You know, I love Jonah Peretti. I think he's a genius. Um, I'm never going to listen to him again on in terms of digital business um, outlooks, because I, I actually don't think he really knows what he's talking about. I know that's a big thing to say, okay. but, if you, but Jonah is a genius in terms of thinking about society and how media spreads. He's not really a businessman, and I think that we can see that now from what's happened to BuzzFeed, because it was set up to succeed, and it's, it's really not succeeded. Um, so my optimistic view is that we've got all of that sort of chaff out of the way, and the things that we now know are that if you do really good reporting, uh, you will find an audience and you might be able to find revenues if you're at a certain size. And we've got a very realistic view on that. As a, How do you mean that as a certain size? Because, I mean, I, I understand the sort of media is in crisis narrative, and we've certainly told it a lot, on the VC-funded side, only because the expectations. It's, it's hard for me yeah. to see that, for example, that BuzzFeed is a failing company. It, it is not. It's, it's, it, its cost basis was... Its cost base was a little bit out of whack right. with, with what its revenue are. But, I mean, this is a company that's growing. This is a company that still employs a lot of journalists. This is true. However, what I would say is that the model that says you can always turn a profit on a particular type of um, guessing the algorithm uh, or rather knowing what the algorithm is going to do to advertising content and to, to editorial content um, works for as long as the platforms are prepared to tolerate margins in um, those middlemen businesses. And what I would really worry about for BuzzFeed is that as pressure grows on somewhere like Facebook, which it will, um, to carry on growing in terms of advertising, actually the core of... Um, BuzzFeed's business, and Jonas said this, he said, you know, we will have a successful business as long as we can provide high quality, low cost content that reaches a large audience. 
He actually said that. That was in his bullet points to staff. That, to Mm -hmm. me, does not sound like a sustainable model for journalism. Well, the journalism, I mean, this is kind of tough to say, but, I mean, it's really content marketing for BuzzFeed, right? I mean, BuzzFeed BuzzFeed wants to have a sheen on its brand in order to to command um, a premium in the marketplace, and it's still... Journalism still provides that, but I, as a standalone yeah. part of its business, it, it would be really difficult to to understand why. I mean, it's going to make its money off of Tasty and off doing products and having a and, BuzzFeed store in Times Square. And to be honest, Brian, to you and me, we know what Ben Smith built, which was, I think, an extraordinary news organization. I think he's a brilliant mm-hmm. editor. I think he's done a great job. You ask some of their key demographic who are not employed in media what they think about BuzzFeed News and they've never heard of it uh, and we know that because we've done some um, we've done some user testing at also some some focus groups at the Tower Centre we were absolutely shocked <laughs> even in news junkies people were saying BuzzFeed doesn't have a serious news organisation because they lived in social and they uh People knew their brand through the things that were circulated most often, which are the quizzes and the fun stuff. And it's been really difficult for them, I think, to build that brand out in a in in the type of audience that they need to make it sustainable. And I get what you mean, which is it's sheen on the brand. So it's like Bloomberg's newsroom, right? But Bloomberg has a great business selling terminals into every trading floor in yeah. the world. And what BuzzFeed it's has- a little different is a, than the listicles business. Yeah, a tiny bit different. And, and they have a great content marketing business, but the content marketing business is not forever. You know, the content marketing business is really fickle. Well, that and got once, commoditized. Yeah. And once, you know, kind of once you, once you have the big platforms getting more into the content marketing business themselves- then mm-hmm. I don't really like I I don't like the chances of the companies that are leaning yeah. on that heavily. Wait, so. this was the optimistic segment. I'm sorry, this is up to optimistic. I'm sorry, I pulled you in this. <laughs> well, no, what I mean is I think that we're getting down to the point where we understand that what when we talk about journalism, we're no longer really talking about aggregational sites. We're not talking about content marketing businesses. We're talking about reporting organisations. It's taken us so long to sort through like mm-hmm. what the hell is journalism, and I think we're getting down to the fact that to be a sustainable news organisation, you have to report. Um, you have to have an audience that will if not pay directly for you, at least contribute something towards you. I want to take a quick break here um, to tell you about a live podcast event we are hosting in New York City. Um, This is going to be held at the Group 9 headquarters, and I will be speaking with Krista Carone. She is the president of Group 9 Media. This will be taking place on April 10th at 5.30 p.m. Please come by. Uh, Krista and I are going to probably zero in on a lot of the issues that we talk about here on the DJ podcast every week, which basically revolve around how can you make a sustainable media business? Um, I think this is more pressing than ever at a publisher like Group 9. Many of its uh, fellow large venture-backed publishers have run into problems lately, so I'm going to press Chris on that. If you want to reserve a place here, uh, please reach out to our producer, Aditi Sangal. Email her at aditi at digiday.com. That is A-D-I-T-I. Um, and she will get you all set up. Hope to see you there. Um, and now back to the episode. 
So give me give me two bright spot examples that are not the New York Times or subsidized by billionaires. Well, so something which was I think interesting, and I don't know that it's going to succeed, but it was a real bright spot for me um, was the campaign of the correspondent over here, which is this Dutch outfit saying we're going to do journalism differently, which raised its um, twenty five million dollar or whatever it was uh, mm-hmm. target uh, without publishing a word of journalism on a campaign. <laughs> I can see the skepticism on the campaign. Well, that says <laughs> on the campaign that says we want to do a different type of journalism. I did not think they would do that. I was absolutely convinced. I want to see that's what gonna they're going to do, though. I know. I know. I mean, <laughs> like, I, it's a great marketing campaign, yeah. and 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 maybe it should win um, a um, a can lion or something like yeah. this. But like, as far as like. Um, you know, I actually, I studied in Belgium, so I know a little bit Dutch, of Dutch, uh-huh. but not enough to regularly read the correspondent in, in right. uh, Dutch. But I'd like to see what exactly the product is before I, I say that it's a success. I mean, maybe it's a little old Yeah, school, they have maybe. that man who goes on about um, taxes, taxes, taxes. The yeah. guy with the viral video. I love that guy. I love that guy. He's a correspondent person. Uh, anyway, so so I thought that that was a tiny bright spot. My old shop, The Guardian, has been a bright spot. It's yeah. cut its losses um, and it's pulled off the trick of uh, persuading people to um, subscribe in mm-hmm. a membership way, uh, which is sort of bringing it to break even this year, which I don't think anybody thought was possible right. four or five years ago. That's a little bit bright. Um, I think that Gimlet Media, I'm, I'm still not sure yeah. what to think about this. I think Gimlet Media being bought by Spotify is kind of interesting and, and quite bright. Um, yes. You know, the idea that you can, you know, like yourself, uh, Brian, be a podcast, uh, you know, gazillionaire. Easily. So it feels as though we have a few bright spots, but I take your point about the billionaires, the foundations and the philanthropy, which those are the areas that have grown it's medieval i mean uh, i mean right it's like i i always think journalism always wants like the sort of the white knight um and the sort of literal white knight sometimes with with these billionaires coming in but then the amount of conflicts that it creates is unbelievable i mean i i feel like every single journalism business is going to have a set of conflicts if you if you have an advertising supported business you have a set of conflicts because your true customer is the advertiser if you have a subscription business you have a conflict because you could end up just becoming an echo chamber the only thing that you want to do is right. that there's an argument that the new york times has become an echo chamber for um for a very liberal uh, yes. upper west side point of view you came from the upper west side i did so that's uh, me today <laughs> you're, um, you're describing and, you're and, describing my people there. <laughs> i'm sorry anyway we could keep going yeah. on and when yeah. you're the billionaire you're going to have a, a real set of but that's fine as long as you have enough of as long as you have enough um, elements in each of those buckets. And I think one of the things that's been problematic about the American market is that it's been absolutely convinced that uh, advertising will provide a profitable um, future. That's for, over. <laughs> that's over. So, 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 so if you come from the UK, you were used to a media environment that said 30% of it is advertising, roughly 30% of it is subscription, roughly, if you take things like Sky and yeah. newsstand revenues, 30% of it, broadly the BBC, is is public service yeah. support. In America, it's been um, actually more like sort of 70, 80% yeah. is advertising. But you know why that is? It's because this is a massive market. It's a huge market. It's a market. massive consumer yeah. market. Yeah. And you 
can see a path to to the the size of ad deals here versus the UK is just far different. But that's changing, right? right? So that's changing. So so this is where American can because look all the money at. went to Google and Facebook. All the money went to Google. You know, for Google years I was always I always go back yeah. to this. I was shown these charts, the Mary Meeker slide of <laughs> yes. the time spent on the internet versus the advertising yeah. spent in there and all of these businesses, a lot of these businesses that were funded were based on on the delta going away. Yeah. It did go away. It yes. went into the pockets of Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, and, and that's where it went. It did not go to these new ventures. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So, so the market's been restructured underneath us in a short period of time. Advertising has gone away. That's the big question mark that we've got to solve. Um, I think that... But that's the pivot to paid, right? That's the pivot, pivot to paid for some people. So it's not going to work for everybody. That's the other thing to say is it's just not going to work for everybody. And uh, I think we're going to have a winner-takes-it-all economy in subscription or we're going to come up with something which is a much better way of um, redistributing uh, subscription dollars. So if somebody said to me, how many things do you currently subscribe to? I wouldn't know, but I'm going to guess it's 15 to 20. That's like too many. That's an insane number. Um, And what's more, all of those subscriptions are going to come up for renewal individually. And I'm either going to drop a few or forget that I have to renew them or just look at the Wall Street Journal's Mm -hmm. price and go, I'm not doing that again. So I have have some bad news. Go on. (laughs) <laughs> the only people that can solve this problem are Google and Facebook I and know. Apple. Oh, okay. Well, Apple may be. <laughs> Meet the new boss. <laughs> well, so this is it. I, do, I, you know, I do think that we uh, we have reached this point where if Apple comes into the market with a subscription product that really works, if Google can do that, if Facebook, I don't, I don't see any sign of Google or Facebook doing that. That's the other thing. This is the other thing. This is the other reason I say they don't really care about journalism. Pivot to page has been very obvious for at least twelve months. I think. Mm-hmm. Where are their products? Nowhere, absolutely nowhere. You know, there's nothing that helps us really. Uh, there's talk of it. There are a few beta tests. They haven't produced anything yeah. that's going to help us. Well, they're ad businesses. They're ad machines. They are. They so 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 they haven't and they haven't got. They haven't any pressure applied to them. Competitive pressure. Do you worry when this? it comes to this? I, I think the the overall pivot to paid is good. I mean, it's mm-hmm. good. It's good to align your customers with your audience because, oftentimes, as I said like that's in conflict. Um, are you concerned overall about this when it comes to the impact of 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 the journalism beyond maybe skewing it more right. towards an echo chamber, but also? It's a public service, and like yeah. by cutting off, I mean the, the the world, you know, the world, or maybe just the United States, for now, um, needs freely available, um, high quality journalistic content. So something that I've been not sa- everyone can pay. No, so, so so something I've been saying since I got here, which is nearly a decade ago now, is your public media is. Um, horribly underfunded and not very well thought out and isn't really fit for the digital age but you're going to need it you're going to need npr well like npr but also like have you seen the trust numbers in npr they've come down they have plummeted but they're uh, and 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 that's why i say you know you have to reinvent it you can't just say uh, you need something which is um you need something which is supported by something other than advertising or subscription i'm convinced of it you you cannot expect to carry on informing a broad public uh, consistently Mm -hmm. in the next 10 years unless you have something that is going to really prop up, particularly local reporting. So let's talk about the local angle because um, earlier this week, Spirited Media, we've had um, 
had a, a Jim Brady on on the podcast before to talk about what they were doing. And, and you know, a fascinating thing. I don't think it's really working. I think that's that's probably, and I think it's it's mostly just because you know the the road to figuring out local journalism has a lot oh. of carcasses on it. Um, and they were trying a lot of different things, and I think it was a really interesting experiment. Um, the future there looks very, I don't want to say bleak, but it doesn't look great. Well, I think, again, I'm going to get back to the fact that I think we've seen, this has been coming and now it's arrived, which is the unsustainable nature of local journalism is really laid bare for lots of people and now everyone is focusing on that as a problem so Facebook is focusing on it, Google is focusing mm-hmm. on it, the foundations are focusing on it rich people are focusing on it, news organisations focus are focusing on it and about time too. So you're right there are lots of caucuses. When you see spirited media uh, where you have effectively it's being dispersed into public media and um, mm-hmm. you know larger kind of local um, organisations. That's a sign that's a yeah. sign that says you know this is not easy and you can be as digital as you like you can have people like Jim who have run really fantastic digital properties you know for the last 20 years who absolutely know what they're doing and they're not going to succeed because that market just doesn't work as an advertising supported market just doesn't work Um, so you know we have a few new very small initiatives like the American Journalism Project which Mm -hmm. is this thing that John Thornton who set up the Texas Tribune is doing so John is more pessimistic than even you or I, Brian. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he says we haven't been pessimistic enough and that's why we've lacked investment and ideas in this area. So um, I like that the pessimists are now flocking to this and that people are not saying, you know, it's just because local journalists are not very good at digital. You know, it's just because no. these big companies don't really know what they're doing and they're too greedy. It's it, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the idea that we've now gonna have so we're now gonna have some sort of ground level experiments and I like the idea that we might actually develop, God forbid, in America, policy around this. Yeah. You know, that actually that's my big hope is policy. It's policy coming from probably the next democratic government, whenever that arrives, um, which says you have to have proper funding for local media and also says that you have to have some kind of restraint or regulation imposed on the platforms. Yeah. I want to talk about that. um, But one thing I want to run by is this idea, thinking about that, Local journalism is gonna, is a lot like our healthcare system. Like, there's a lot of people who would just say, "Well, you know, who who've come to places with national healthcare and say, just adopt single payer." Um, it's it's not going to happen here, really. I know there's, there's some there's some talk about Medicare for all, but it's probably not going to happen here. And the solution to healthcare has long been this patchwork. You've got em- right. You've got employer funded. That, that covers um, you know about 60% of the market, mm-hmm. and then you patch it up with these different little things, and it's a very imperfect system. So that's the sort of model I'm thinking about for local. <laughs> it's just right. going to be this imperfect oh. patch where you've got billionaires right. here, yeah. you've got you've got public, uh, you've got philanthropy projects here, and just uh, sort of, and there will be some little like you know for profit. But I think I think you're probably right, but I would like to see as a bit be a bit more ambitious and say is this I know that it's against the yeah. way that America was designed too, but nobody's going to give well, up their, I, their I, employer well, funded but also, but for also you, healthcare but you know you mentioned that it's a really interesting point which is that actually if we're throwing public public money around, we've got a lot of things to spend it on before we get to journalism. Healthcare being number one, you know, probably debt, student debt being number two yeah. which afflicts all demographics. Um 
infrastructure being number three, you know, kind of you get a long, long way yeah. down the list. However, journalism is not that big a problem. It's like um, if you think about it as being a billion dollar problem or a two billion dollar problem, that's not a lot of money mm -hmm. to get reporters in every state house to have some kind of useful wire service. You know, the AP is kind of experimenting with some of these things as well and thinking, can we actually get a spine of accountability reporting at least into every state house you know that's that sounds like such a minimal requirement and mm -hmm. yet it's one that we haven't got at the moment but if we if we if we threw you know a billion dollars at it we would solve that problem it's not a huge amount of money so are you in favor of the the platforms at large being taxed in some way in order to redistribute some of that money to journalism yeah i i am really i i said a while seems ago like an extreme an extreme solution yeah. it's not an extreme solution it's such academics an, are always <laughs> with up our, these crazy, schemes. our crazy ideas <laughs> it's uh the leak into the mainstream via bernie sanders um <laughs> and elizabeth warren um it's not a crazy idea to have what they call hypothecated tax from some for, it's a polluter pays principle right we've always had this which is if you uh do well in one part of the economy or a producer protection scheme like you have for farmers and supermarkets you know look at the agri look at look at agriculture in america subsidized protected tariff system that works um, to keep farmers going while uh, you have ever greater concentration in retail. Um, it's not that unlike the journalism business, right? Which is, you know, it's culturally important. Um, it's something that actually you need for democracy to function is control over your information, just like control over your, your news. You can tell I once worked on an agricultural yeah. paper. I get very into this metaphor. So I don't think it's crazy to say that we should have subsidy for journalism. And it's really not crazy to say those guys who've made so mm. much money out of the advertising market, which actually rely in a way on there being some integrity in the information environment, they should actually pitch in for it. And they should probably pitch in slightly more than $300 million each that they've put aside for it. Uh, the American capitalist in me um, <laughs> says that that is a fraught, a fraught situation. Do you know what, Brian? We're going to get the, the news equivalent of ethanol. Do you know what like, I? Do you know? Well, the, do you know what I say? I say everything is fraught. So here's the <laughs> thing that people go. It's like saying we don't want speech laws, and people saying we don't want to be like Germany. Germany has speech laws, and it's terrible. And you think Germany has a genocidal fascist maniac in charge of it about 70 years ago and now it's a functioning democracy in what way do you not want to be like germany it's mm -hmm. like this idea that somehow america uh, got everything right in about 1955 and it should stay that way is is absurd mm -hmm. and capitalism is the thing that it's most a attached to and it's the thing which is most absurd it's we why, love it. it's, why love you it. it's why you don't have health care it's why and you're fooled by all these rich people <laughs> telling you that this is the way it has to be it has to be the case that you have these absolute numpties in silicon valley it's technical term numpty, numpty. In silicon valley with money coming out there is who have no idea how to do anything apart from engineer a really great product for social exchange beyond that and, and people listening to them just because they're really rich instead of going, hang on a second, this is not really going to, the way you're designing it is not really going to work. Right. There were plenty of, there were plenty of us in academia and journalism saying that for a long time. And Facebook were like, you people don't know what you're talking about. We were right. We yeah. were right. And we're right about this as well. We are right about this as well. Do you have uh, sympathy and do you think it will get any traction, Elizabeth Warren's suggestion of 
breaking up these tech companies? Well, I think it's interesting because um, she's actually a great policy person. So this is not a wild piece of speculation on her part. She actually understands how the financial system um, fell apart and how it should be regulated. It's really similar, actually, to a lot of the data aggregation and targeting sort of that's at the heart of the business of the big platforms. And her plan for it is pretty sensible. However, um, I think you can already see the platforms positioning themselves as being a global um, problem, uh, that they're setting themselves yeah. alongside WeChat and Tencent. <laughs> yeah. and they're saying... You think we're bad. Uh, you think we're bad. Also, we're your soft power. So this is what I mean about journalism being very right. close to Google and very close to Facebook, which is, you know, they're not just platforms for showing off pictures of your cats they're also pretty important to the intelligence operations and to the defense and national security operations of the united states it, it breaking up those organizations is going to come down to a political argument about whether or not you want to retain that kind of yeah. soft power in the world or not i i Policy aside, I don't see how that that flies in politics. I just don't think the American people see see Facebook and Amazon. I, Amazon's the thing that they're like, oh God, you you order toilet paper shows up the next day. Like yeah. they don't look at the no, but they don't they don't look at it like that. But they do look at it like four hundred thousand people last year, mostly women, mostly actually African American women, lost mm. their job in retail. You know, kind of like that. Actually, people. I think this shows up in people's high streets in a way that they recognise as not being wholly good and not just in terms of their local newspaper not being functional anymore. Um, so I think that people completely get the trade-off between convenience and actually social fabric being somehow eroded. Um, mm. And I don't think people are at all stupid on that and I think that they don't like it particularly. Um, so I don't think that... I don't actually think that Elizabeth Warren's... Um, argument would meet a huge amount of public resistance. I, I think that people do feel that there are these large, rich entities that they don't really understand very much about. They do like their toilet paper showing up the next day, but they don't see why it wouldn't. This is how these VC tweets, uh, you know, you can make them yourself. <laughs> just because just because your toilet paper shows up next yes. day doesn't mean that it couldn't show up next day from a slightly smaller company. Okay. Um, so I, Reminds I, me we need to do a VC tweet generator. You do need to do a VC tweet, a bot, a yeah. VC tweet bot. Um, so I think she stands, I, I think it's a good plan. I don't, I, I'm not sure that it will come to pass because um, antitrust in America at the moment is kind of quite a mess and actually the direction that the Trump administration <laughs> well, Trump has Trump doesn't like you then. He's well, like, well, hey, it, break up. All he's done is, <laughs> all he's done is remove um, the barriers to uh, other companies like telecoms companies and cable companies to grow. So we've just had this deregulation of sort of bonanza. What's interesting is that actually the right don't like big tech companies either. Yeah. So you actually have a far right, far left um, alliance on this uh, of people both in the kind of Alex Jones camp um, and in the Ocasio-Cortez camp. Not that I'm saying they're at all equivalent because wow. she's a sensible elected representative. Um, what a and he is a, But you know, if you if you look at the if you look at the fringes of thought, um, the, both ends of the political spectrum are dead set against. Um, uh, tech power um, for different reasons. So I think that there might be a political will to do it. Um, whether or not there is, oh sorry, there may be a, a kind of democratic will to do it, whether or not there's a political will to do it, I think is slightly, that's a 
different question. Okay. Don't we'll know. revisit this in 2020. <laughs> yes, I, with we our we very optimistic. back and a more optimistic. Um, I'm so opti- I'm such an optimist. I'm so I'm I'm optimistic. We've spotted the problems and now we can figure them exactly. out. Exactly. Okay. Emily, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Brian. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, also, you can always email me. I'm brian at digiday.com or tweet at me. I am at bmarcy. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with a new episode.